I wouldn't say it's surprising. The number I think is surprising. That is a staggering number, like 5 million homes. You know, that's, that's 15% of our population mm -hmm. in homes, not just, you know, like not just people. That's, you know, we have just, I think 40 million people now in Canada, just under 40 million. So if you yeah. have 5 million homes, I mean, that's... You're listening to the Ottawa Real Estate Podcast with your hosts, Paul Stevenson, David Warren, and Greg Campbell. Let's see what's going on in the world of real estate today. Hello. Hello, and welcome back to the Ottawa Real Estate Podcast. My name is Paul Stevenson. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Greg Campbell, realtor extraordinaire. Hello. Hello. Campbell Merrick Group. I'm a mortgage agent. I'm a level two mortgage agent. And uh, unfortunately, Mr. David Warren will not be joining us today. It'll be just Greg and I giving you the latest and greatest on real estate in our nation's capital. Gregory Campbell, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for asking, Paul. You know, we're in the office again. I'm in the office. I'm still setting up the, the proper studio, which everyone will hopefully see next week. But I always have, have problems with lighting in here, Paul, and to all our, our viewers. Listeners, if you're watching me, imagine me in a room that's not the has does not have the best lighting. Um, <laughs> As we can see by the fluorescent lighting behind you, that's like even the one that's on looks sad. It looks it's like not it's even on. That's a reflection from the hallway. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's I gotta say, anyone who's been watching the show for a while must know that I've been like I'm the, I'm the guy. I'm the audio video guy, and I'm the one with the most notorious unpolished backgrounds off and on, especially since we closed down the Orleans office last April. But you know, I'm, I'm coming, I'm back. I'm coming back. You'll see me in a better light next week. Yeah, you're actually in the window too. So you think you'd have amazing light. The, the, the it's just thing. weird. It's, it's the room. It's, I, I don't know. I don't know. I've got like a half light on here with the, with the other light to warm, warm my face up a bit. I like to keep my face a little bit more warm instead of cold in the cold, cold winter. But speaking of push-ups, Paul, <laughs> yes we greg greg and i are currently doing a, a push-up challenge for mental health the canadian mental health association cmha i think is the acronym yes so we have been doing it works out to be 2200 push-ups over the first 22 days so 100 push-ups per day they kind of have it broken up we were just saying this morning like today i think the target is 75 and i did kind of a, my first set. greg's already done his for the day just an animal um, but I do actually, you know, they get easier. They get easier. They just like mental health. If you work on it, it does get easier. You know, it's a perfect. It's, it's fitness. It's, <clears throat> it's like I said, when I posted about it, you know, I had, you know, I went through some, some tough times some occasionally. And, and every time I do, if I lean into fitness, if I lean into athletics and, you know, just health and wellness overall, you're kind of, it's very, well, it's not surprising because that's how the human body works, but it's, it's amazing the changes that you can feel almost instantly just from doing any type of activity, any type. Speaking, speaking quickly of activities, this weekend was in Laval, yes. Maria, just off of, with my youngest son for soccer tournament. And he won his first medal. As we all know in Canada, they don't keep score until you turn 13 in soccer. They don't have any winners or losers. Everyone's a winner in Canadian soccer. So this was the first tournament where they actually had scores and medals. And I'll be honest, watching the medal ceremony, I, and having played sports, like there's such a benefit to winning. They came second, okay? So they lost in the finals. Kids are crying, hearts broken. 
I still think unbelievable <laughs> experience. Like that is life, you know, like we're talking about mental health that helps you grow, yeah. you know, you win or you learn. That's what they say. And, you know, they learned, they had a great time. Uh, we had an awesome experience and uh, it was his first time winning medal. So he was very proud of it. And I was really happy to be there with him. So when did, I never knew that that rule came into effect. How, how long ago was that? I want to say maybe five to seven years ago, I'm going to guess somewhere in there. That's wild. Uh, yeah, it was, I mean, Soccer Canada's done a lot of improvements. We will get to real estate soon. Soccer Canada's <laughs> made a lot of improvements and they wanted to focus on like the core values of the game, which was, you know, small size okay. games, touch. I, I do see the, uh, I see the thought process behind the approach, but I still think kids are still keeping score. Even when we're not keeping score, the kids are like, oh, yeah. it's 3-1, it's 2 nut. Like they still know the score. Everyone's still cheering when they win the game. Like right, it's all right. the same. It's just, it's, it's optics, I think, but. Anyways, it was great. It was a great experience. He lost and I'm still happy, you know, so it's of course losing, still winning in my of eyes. Course. So real estate, Greg, how are we looking? 2024 has been very interesting so far. It seems like a, a bit of a roller coaster and I'm wondering yeah. what you're seeing right now. Well, it's more of the same. It's, you know, I started out the gates pretty hard, which was fantastic. I needed that. And right now we're just seeing... You know, it's it's moving along. It's moving along. And just when you think you got a big boost, things kind of slow down a bit. I'm hearing the same thing from a bunch of people, right? They're they're I haven't spoken with anyone who's been like just I'm busy all the time. Yeah. But I mean that's that's real estate. That's how you do it. Like if I look, if I look at what do I what do I have here for you? I've got a couple things. Like I'm looking at <clears throat> at townhomes in Orleans. You know, and there's 48 active listings. Okay. And in the last seven days, we had, we had 15 sales or no 15 conditional sales. And we had, yeah, not bad. We had 32 sales. So that's, you know, that's just in Orleans alone. So that's a pretty healthy market. I'd say like things are, things are definitely moving. The stats overall for the city are pretty much the same as they were last week. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just going to bring up some averages here. Um, if everyone has has a moment, I thought I had that open. Guess I didn't, Paul. <laughs> didn't have that one open there, but but it's coming. I you know I got a couple things done, a couple things in process. Did a big condo deal. You know something to be aware of. I learned I have uh, a U.S. citizen who has permanent residency in Canada. Card card has expired. <clears throat> been trying to get the card renewed. It's it's been taking years which was insane to me when i heard that i'm like what do you mean years they're like yes and and to be honest we have all the documentation it's the government of canada that puts it puts it that slowed it down so think about that for a minute you've got someone who's been a permanent resident of canada for a massive number of years card expired can't get it renewed yet somehow they're issuing more for new people i just don't really understand the thinking behind that still trying to bring up this number so what but this, my, my final point is this. What I learned is that so many questions. <laughs> you're always you're all you're still a permanent resident. Just okay. because the card expired doesn't mean that you're not a permanent resident. So I've, I had a few phone calls with lawyers, and I have a letter now. I have a letter from the lawyer, you know, saying that yes, he remains a permanent resident and always will be. This this is a document, you know, saying that it, it, when he um, closes on the property, he's not a foreign buyer because he wouldn't be able to buy the property if he was right. 
So we had to make sure that we could get that done. So anyways, we got it. So just something to consider if you if if you're working in real estate and you meet some you come across somebody who's a citizen from another country that has permanent residency, they say their cards expired, make sure that you get in touch with either their immigration lawyer or an immigration lawyer that can take over the case if they're trying to close on something because otherwise if they don't have that document they can't close. Mm-hmm. So that's that was something new that I've been dealing with. I also learned something else that even if you have a condo that you're living in for an extended period of time, but you're not here, you know, they have the vacant unit tax in, in, in Ottawa and Ontario. If you have a family member or anyone staying in your property, most condominiums will request a document be filled out with, you know, emergency response, like who, who do they need to contact, stuff like that. And whether you're getting paid or not, if it's family, you need to clear with the condo that you can even have someone staying in your home for less than 28 days because then it's considered a short-term rental and some condos won't even allow that. Oh, wow. Which I was kind of surprised, but anyways, it's, it's gray. It's gray, but it's just something to be aware of. If you're, if you meet someone who's in and out, they have friends or family staying over, there's a bit of a process and you should clear it before you, before you get the deal done. So I'm going to go back to this quickly. Active listings in Orleans, this is townhome semi-detached. Average price is $654 because there's a monster at $900 that's been on the market for a year. So we're just going to bring that down a bit. Conditional sales, average price $572,000, 27 days on market. Sold, average price is $605,000 with 29 days on market. So, I mean... The days on market's gone down pretty dramatic. Days on market's going down. I mean, yeah. on townhomes, you would see 45 days, 40 to 45 days a few months ago, for sure. And the price, you know, sitting around the 600, again, there's a couple of the anomalies that are just making that peak. Um, and those will definitely come down in price. So I'd, I'd still put the average of more of like a 575 on towns in Orleans mm-hmm. right now. And across the city, you're going to see similar, you know, slightly higher in Barhaven, slightly higher in Canada, uh, Stittsville, but uh, it's moving. Yeah, I wanted to touch quickly. You were mentioning the uh, permanent residence. So worth mentioning that, there are programs in Canada. We've probably talked about this previously, but there are programs literally called new to Canada. So people that uh, have newly immigrated to Canada, they can qualify to purchase a home. Typically lenders want to see, you know, they, they typically have to be here within the last 60 months. So moved here in the last five years, basically, they have to have at least three months of minimum full-time employment in Canada. And typically they have to have a, either a work permit or be kind of in the process of getting their permanent residency. So you can put as as little as 5% down. So a lot of people think, oh, you know, I'm a non-permanent resident. I'm going to have to put uh, whatever, you know, 20% or what have you. You can put 5% down so long as it's coming from your own resources. It has to be your own money. If you're getting gifted funds and you still have to put 5% of your own, and then you can get, you know, additional 5% or whatever as a gift. So there's still options. There's a lot of options. And I think especially with the number of people immigrating to Canada, it's very important that people are aware of this program. So if you know anyone who's recently immigrated and are looking for something like that, certainly have them contact me and I'd be more than happy to go through kind of the ins and outs of that program. But Greg, I was reading uh, an interesting article. We were talking about uh, housing supply. It's obviously been a major point of concern, I guess, over the last few years. And CIBC did a recent study and they said that the housing supply gap is worse than they first thought. And they think that there'll be 5 million extra homes needed by 2030. So we're talking in six years. So I'll read the beginning of this article. It says, when the CMHC, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, announced that Canada would need an extra 3.5 million homes by 2030 to keep up with the demand, the figure was already staggering. 
But a new report from CIBC Deputy Chief Economist Benjamin Tall suggests the housing supply gap is even worse than they first thought. In his research note entitled, The Housing Crisis is a Planning Crisis, Tal argues that the total number of homes needed by 2030 above and beyond the current pace of construction is actually closer to 5 million homes. He said the discrepancy is due to lack of proper planning around population with growth targets consistent, consistently falling short of reality. The biggest reason for this, he explains, is an underestimate of non-permanent residents, which he says make up more than 90% of the forecasting gap. You cannot build an adequate supply of housing for population growth that you fail to forecast. Seems obvious, no? I mean, that's that seems pretty obvious. It says that significant forecasting planning gap is a direct result of the fact that currently there are no credible forecast targets or capacity plans across the governments for non-permanent residents, the population which accounts for the vast majority of the planning shortfall. He added, that must change. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's surprising. The number I think is surprising. That is a staggering number, like 5 million homes. You know, that's that's 15% of our population mm -hmm. in homes, not just, you know, like not just people. That's, you know, we have just, I think, 40 million people now in Canada, just under 40 million. So if you yeah. need 5 million homes, I mean, that's... No, and that's why they're, you know, they're talking about the 3D printed homes, the tiny homes uh things like that are, i think are going to become standard within the next two years even the 100 there's no way around it they're just going to have to put them up and i was watching a thing on you know what's going on in texas right now and there was a real estate developer an investor what he's been doing is been he's been buying homes in in the kind of well not decrepit but like more like in, in the hood in the ghettos or or previous trap houses or whatever like you know crime crime homes, homes of crime, and they've been renovating them or they've been tearing them down. But what he's been doing is he's been working with the people that have been coming across the country illegally to help give them a place to live, which was pretty crazy because he kept saying, he's like, yeah, he's like, I get, he's like, I've been mostly in contact with people from Guatemala. And he's been saying, we can put up a house in, in less than two weeks. He says, these guys work harder than anyone he's ever seen in the States. They just come in and they just, they do the work and they get it done. And then there's a place for another family or another couple of families, like within a couple of weeks. So he says this model, he was saying that this model he sees as being a quick way to get people housing. Now, regardless of who goes into those homes, that's, you know, it's still, it's still interesting to see that, but that's what I mean. Who's, who's going into the homes? Are they, are they citizens or is this just building little communities of people, um, aren't uh residences res residents and you know further contributing to the shortfall of housing in north america right for sure and for anyone who doesn't know i'm i am a, a quarter guatemalan so that is are you you're i didn't know that yeah yeah my Maybe grandfather my grandfather my maternal grandfather born and raised in guatemala so that's that's crazy yeah roberto great. estrada that's, great, uh, my great. um yeah no i think i think single family homes are going to really become kind of a thing of the past, you know, I just think the amount of, I mean, Canada, we're very fortunate. And I think people kind of take it for granted how much land we actually have. Like we have the space to put these homes, obviously mm. it's the, you know, there's a supply issue, not only for the actual homes, but at times for also the supplies to build these homes. And then for the, there is some bureaucracy obviously with getting, as we said, like the cost to build for a builder now with permits and, you know, just acquiring the land and everything that goes along with that is so much so that people just don't start these projects, you know? So if you want to build a, a 30 story tower, there's a, you know, it might take you two, three years just to get the mm -hmm. ball rolling on that. Right. So 
to build 5 million homes by 2030 is, is quite literally impossible. It would be interesting to know how many homes there are in Canada now, because if you average two people per home, I mean, 5 million homes is a quarter of the country. So like <laughs> how many homes are there currently in Canada? Would we have to double the amount of homes, triple the amount of homes maybe? Yeah, that's crazy. I'm just I'm trying to look now. Character. Okay, this will be too vague. I can't do this. I'm going to guess there's 20 million homes in Canada. That's going to be I, they, I mean, find it, but you'd think there'd be more, but who knows? That's a that's a great we should try to find that number. That's interesting. Yeah, so 5, I mean, 5 million is is a staggering number. Just it's it's hard to even wrap our head around what that means. That's five times the population of Ottawa in homes. <laughs> you know, like yeah. It's pretty wild. Another another really interesting article that I saw was regarding rate cuts. So this is something we've been dealing with extensively. Rates are, as much as we try, like I really try hard not to ever focus on rate because like as a broker, obviously my my job, my obligation, I would even say my duty is to find my clients like the best product for their specific needs, right? Like some people actually don't care about rate. They want something that's overly flexible or what have you. So it really does depend, but rate is always a factor. Like, you know, I have people, I had someone email me this weekend saying, you know, I have an approval with another broker. Basically what's the best rate you can offer me on this home that, I, that I've found. And I actually responded saying, you know, I appreciate it. I'd be more than happy to work together. I, basically saying, I don't compete on rate. Like if that's what you're looking for, there are places to do that. But essentially I work in your best interest. I, you know, my clients trust and rely on me for my expertise and my experience and my knowledge and so on. So like, if you're looking for just the lowest rate, like you've come to the wrong place, I will get you the lowest rate based on all the other metrics involved, you know, but to just sell on rate is, is very challenging. And I think some people do do that. But the reason why I'm saying this is because rates are always part of the conversation. Like there's no way to not have a conversation about rate with each and every client. So rates, rate conversations happen all the time. This is, this is that very long rant was for that point in the past, in the most recent week or two, we've been hearing a lot more about where rates are heading. This has been a huge topic of conversation for the last three years in 2024, everyone was assuming there'd be four to six rate, but probably two to four rate cuts is really like the conservative estimate was two to four rate cuts. I would say now, you know, I think if we get to this year that, you know, we're probably on par, I think four is very optimistic right now. Uh, I think two is probably more realistic. I think three would be favorable. And I also think fixed rates are not going to drop as much as people think. I would say that we're probably going to see, you know, looking at his, his, historic numbers, historic charts, the likelihood is that rates are probably going to reach and kind of meet around 6%, maybe high fives, you know, mid to high fives, We've seen historically that variable rates are almost always lower than fixed rates. This last two years is the first time we've really seen variable rates consistently be higher than fixed. And that has really shifted the way that people have had those discussions around rates. Like we were seeing a lot more people opting for fixed rates. I know I've mentioned this before, but there was a month last year where 95% of new mortgage originations chose a fixed rate over a variable rate. That probably has never happened. I would guess that's probably never happened previously. And I think that the way that the economy has been resilient, you know, there was all that money that was created during COVID, all that money got pushed into the economy. Inflation numbers went through the roof. Inflation really has started to come down, but not quite to where they thought it would be today. And it's been quite resilient. And the states have been showing resilience as well. So I think the rates are not going to come down 
as quickly or as aggressively as people thought. There was an article I was reading today. It says 2024 rate cut forecast being revised following today's mixed bag jobs report. So I'll just read the first paragraph of this to give you kind of a snapshot, Greg. It says today's employment report for January in which the unemployment rate ticked down has caused bond markets and economists to further reel in their rate cut forecast for the year. Despite a dip in the country's unemployment rate in January, today's jobs report from Stats Canada paints a more complicated and mixed picture, economists say. Even so, bond markets have lowered the odds of a Bank of Canada rate cut in March to just 16%. June remains the most probable timing for the first quarter point cut with 90% odds, which is what I predicted earlier. Uh, prior to today, markets were pricing in 90% odds of a 50 basis point reduction. Uh, on net, 37,300 jobs were created last month, consisting of a gain of 48,900 part-time positions and a loss of 11,600 full-time jobs. That's pretty interesting. Uh, StatsCan also reported that the country's unemployment rate ticked down 0.1 percentage points to 5.7, marking the first decline since December 2022. Uh, while these figures suggest strength in Canada's labour market, experts say the underlying details actually point to weakness. When you drop out the workforce and stop looking for a job, you're not counted in the unemployment rate. That's interesting. You've, you've given up. Are more Canadians giving up looking? Bruno Valco, Vice President of National Sales at RMG, pointed out in a recent note for subscribers. I'm not sure what his point is there, but the factor in immigration, population growth, and the job numbers released today are terrible. So I find it interesting that there was a huge whack load of part-time positions created and a loss of full-time, a quarter full-time jobs. And that showed a net positive of 37,000 jobs. Like when I hear 37,000 jobs <laughs> were created, I think everyone would assume full-time jobs. No? I, yeah. <laughs> So are those part-time jobs, are they working 10 hours a week? Like those 37,000 new jobs could actually work out to be less hours worked than the previous month, but it looks like there's all these new jobs created. That's very, that's a very... It's funny. You think that they just say that in a headline so that more people get motivated to go and find full-time work or try? Like, I, I don't know, but he says in the same time, he doesn't think that, you know, are people being lazy? And then they think a headline like that is going to make people not lazy. I don't know. Yeah, that that's that's I'm I mean, I'm kind of taken back reading it, obviously reading it for the first time on air. Yeah. But that was a very that's very interesting, those numbers. And I think also the rate cut, the fact that they're kind of assuming it's going to be 50 basis points on the first rate cut. I was also when I said June, I was thinking a quarter point, like I was thinking a quarter point every time. So a half point drop would be, uh, I'm sure, welcomed by many. But It'll be very interesting. I, I don't know. Like, I really, at this point, my hands are in the air. Like, you know, everyone has yeah, yeah, their, their thoughts and predictions. But, I mean, everyone's been wrong for the last two years. So there could be a rate cut in March. That 16% really means nothing to me. You know, these numbers are up. They're down. U.S. comes with something. Bonds go up. U.S. comes up, comes out with something up. Bonds go down. Canada comes out with these job numbers. Bonds go up. Like, it's it's all over the map. So we'll just yeah, have to wait and it's see. All, it's almost like we say, there's no point in paying attention. Either you want to buy a home or you don't. If you can make it work, great. If you can't, don't. And just enjoy, try to enjoy your life as much as possible without buying into or or living your life based around the kind of shit that we're talking about right now. Yes. These numbers. In a sense. In a sense. Be, be aware. Stephen, Stephen put in the chat here. He says, in 2016, the most common dwelling type in Canada was still the single detached house, representing 53.6% or 7.5 million of the 14.1 million occupied private dwellings in Canada. As for the remaining proportion, 18% of dwellings were in apartment buildings that have fewer than five stories. 
9.9% were in apartment buildings that have five or more stories. 5.6% were apartments in a duplex and 12.9% were other types of dwellings. So there you go. That's from Stats Cam. Mm -hmm. 2016. So I say we're up what? Two, 5% overall on the rest of that? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like on, on the whole thing there, that's, that is interesting. So there you go. So let's say 50, let's round up to 15 million. Okay. So they got to build a third of the existing homes in the next six years. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> Time will tell. I got a couple, I got a couple little interesting things I want to talk about here. Sure. So. Sure. Anyone who, anyone who was listening, who is any avid long-term listeners remember a point in time where we were talking about the Everground scandals going on in China and how it would, you know, fall into North America at some point. You know, the company, they are liquidating now their assets internationally. And I found it fascinating that the Shadow Montebello was owned by, by Evergrande. So, you know, and we know, we all know being in Ottawa, you know, the Shadow Montebello, if you don't. Uh, oh, great brunch. Do some do some research and and uh, check out what it is. But I'll just read this quickly. Shadow Montebello, known for being the world's largest log cabin and celebrated hotel in Canada, is on the brink of sale due to the liquidation of its owner, China Evergrande, spurred by the collapse of the Chinese real estate market. Evergrande's acquisition of the hotel in 2014 marked its entry into Canada's real estate sector, with Fairmont Hotels and Resorts managing the property. The hotel's potential sale has raised concern among local officials, including Montebello's mayor, Nicola Flam, though there is hope for a buyer who recognizes the hotel's value. I mean, yes, we would imagine that that's going to continue as is. The hotel plays a crucial role in the local economy, employing over 300 individuals, and its sale is being handled by Alvarez and Marcel as dictated by the Hong Kong court responsible for Evergrande's bankruptcy proceedings. Despite the uncertain future, the mayor reassured the community of the hotel's enduring presence, highlighting its historical significance and the array of activities it offers, such as skiing, golfing, and hiking, which have made it a distinguished destination since its establishment in 1930. So I think that's significant to, to talk about the global effect of real estate investors and ownership by large corporations such as Evergrande. You know, it, it happened to them. You think that it only happens to small, you know, individuals or small companies running investments. But I mean, this is, they were, they were like with the top, they were like one of the top next to like what BlackRock mm -hmm. and man, lost my train of thought there. So yeah, it's anyways, it's fascinating. I don't know who's going to buy it, but clearly they're going to invest and they're going to keep it as the hotel shadow of Montebello. I think, I think they're going to convert it to beautiful condos. <laughs> Imagine the, the developers. There's no buy way it. they could get away with that. Oh That'd yeah, be... I live at the Chateau Montebello. No problem. Oh man, turn it into rentals. Speaking of rentals, Christian Freeland, our queen, in a significant move to combat the housing affordability crisis in Canada, Finance Minister Christian Freeland has announced a federal injection of nearly 200 million aimed at aiding low-income renters and expanding shelter capacities. The financial boost includes a $99 million top-up to the Canadian housing benefit designed to directly assist low-income renters in partnership with provinces and territories, and an additional $100 million dedicated to emergency winter funding for shelters, enabling them to increase the number of available spaces for the unhoused. Now, you know, that's, that seems like a good, a good plan. The announcement comes in response to escalating pressures on the government to tackle the soaring rent prices and growing issues of homelessness across the country. 
Freeland, addressing the urgency of the housing challenge in Canada, highlighted the particular strain on Canadians grappling with the high cost of living and rent. The initiative is part of a broader government effort underscored by frequent news conferences by ministers to address and communicate actions taken to alleviate cost of living concerns amidst data revealing an 8.6 year over year surge in average asking rent to a record high last December. So what, what I would hope, so first of all, I think that's actually a fantastic initiative. I mean, I'm usually the first to critique aggressive government spending, but I think that's actually a very, that's, I mean, there is a lot of people unhoused currently, and that is certainly something that we need, especially in Canada. Like we live in a country where you fall asleep outside, you're, you literally yeah. die. So like we, you know, it's very important. The hope would be, you said it was 200 million. Yeah. 200. I, I don't know. They rounded it up. Apparently it's 199 million. I would hope that if they're doing that now, again, I don't understand the government as far as the financial side, obviously, Christian Freeland would understand finance much more than I would, you would hope. And I would hope that they would take that 199 million from somewhere else in the budget as opposed to just creating that money, yes. increasing our costs of living. Currently. Yes. Uh, so let's let's hope that's how that That goes. would be counterintuitive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense. Yes. Um, Okay, Greg, should we roll into some mood boosts? I feel like we've 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 covered lots of topics today. We did, we did cover a lot. It was, you know, a very informative show, I think, Paul. I'm I'm excited about today's today's episode, seeing what people think about it. We need this week to get you some art in that room. I need something here. Yeah. Just a mural, maybe a, a picture in the background of of you and Luca. Uh, <laughs> standing standing with a lion or something you there know? needs to be something here we're, we're, we're playing with ideas we're playing with ideas yeah. on coming. a bear rug you know it's coming yeah yeah okay mood boost i have four today going hard uh so number one my boss told me that as a security guard it's my job to watch the office I'm on season six, but I'm not really sure what's got to do with security uh, number two my wife says i'm the cheapest man in the world i'm not buying it Yes. Neither am I. Yeah. Number three, big fan of MasterChef. I was uh, watching the Australian MasterChef last night. Some guy, did some guy made a meringue and everyone cheered. I thought, that's odd. Normally in Australia, they boo meringue. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> that was heavy. That was a heavy one. And last but not least... I don't even understand this one, but I'm going to say it. Uh, what do the Dallas Cowboys do when they win the Super Bowl? They turn off their Xbox and go to bed. Super Bowl joke, I guess. For the football fans out there. Yeah. Congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs. World champions. Again. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, this show, as you're listening to it, will be released Tuesday, 10 a.m., on all streaming platforms every Tuesday at 10 a.m. You can catch us. And uh, we will be back next week with Gregory and David and myself. Maybe a special guest. Maybe a special guest. Yes. All right. All right, Greg. I'll see you in 30 seconds. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please remember to like, share, comment, and subscribe because we'd really like that.